Hey guys, how y'all doing? Morning. Let's give it up for the band again, man. You guys did a great job leading us in worship. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so stoked to be hanging out with all of y'all. You guys are so much fun. Guys, I was watching backstage. You guys are in this. It is so awesome, so amazing. I want to say just a a huge shout out to Luther Ramsey. Luther's not here with us right now, but he did a great job teaching last week, didn't he? And uh, Luther is in Africa, but Luther and a a group of people from here and a lot of the churches here in Clarksville, um, they uh, actually uh, had a worship service because it's it's like a day ahead. So uh, they've actually already worshiped and had a great time. Y'all continue to pray for them, and uh, we're going to have a great time here. Also, want to just say a huge shout out, happy birthday to one church. Six years ago, this Sunday, we started uh, a church for people who don't go to church, and we, start, we started in the movie theater. How many of y'all were here on, it was actually September the 9th of 2007? How many of y'all were here? A few people? Wow. Well, awesome. We got a couple people. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. I asked that question in first service, and there was like nobody except like two in the back. So anyway, how many of y'all have been coming to One Church for about five years now? Just raise your hands. All right, cool. Cool. Awesome. How many of y'all four years? Let me see you. All right, cool. I'll see you. All right. Uh, three. All right, cool. All right, two. All righty. You're pretty passionate about that. All right, one. And how many of y'all was like, man, I ain't never coming back to this because this is my first Sunday here. All right, let's go. Let me tell you what we're talking about. We're in a series entitled E. Hashtag for this series is Everyone is Elijah. And the entire premise of this series is that God wants to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. That, that really is where we're going today. And Luther did a great job talking about the type of person that God uses and chooses. I love that because so many times we look at people and we pick people, kind of like we're picking a, um, a kickball team. How many of y'all are ever the last person picked? Anyone? All right, me and you. All right, very good. I'm just saying, I was as well. Um, and, but when you pick somebody for a kickball team, you want to be able to say, okay, can they what? Kick. That's exactly right, Sid. Exactly right. Can they kick? Can they catch? Right? I mean, these are important things when you're choosing somebody from kickball when you were in second grade. All right? Or if you're in baseball, can they hit? Can they catch? Can they run? All of these things. You see, we pick people based upon what that person can do and what that person is, but you need to know this, that God picks people on the basis of who they are to become. God's choice of a person is diametrically opposed to how we choose a person. Because again, we choose people based upon talents and qualities and gifts, and God's like, no, no, no. I don't pick people like that based upon what they can do. And here's the whole premise about this. is so many times when we look at people in the scripture, and maybe you've been in church like any amount of time, and you're like, you know, I read these people, and they were amazing people. They could do crazy things like walk on water. They can uh, raise people from the dead. You know, they can uh, do some, I mean, it, it, I mean, they're like, you know, multiplying stuff. And they never got dirty. They never had B.O., Right? They never struggled with life. They never got in depression. And, and we, we look at people like that like they can leap tall buildings in a single bound. You need to know that. The people in the Bible were just like you and me. They're just like you and me. They put on their toga one foot at a time. Right? Just like you put on your pants one foot at a time. I mean, we're in, in really what 
this whole series is based around is a couple of verses in the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this. Talking about Elijah, it says... All right, cool. Uh, It says this. Elijah was a man just like us. All right? Can we just say just like us? Just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that he would, it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a guy or a gal just like us. And, and what, the whole premise of all the amazing, great things that God did in Elijah's life was all based upon him praying earnestly. Now, before we dig into 1 Kings chapter 17, that's where we're going to land today, let me give you some context. Because if, you, if you're not, if you're kind of new to the whole Christianity Bible church thing, you're going to like, well, where are we jumping? We're kind of jumping in the middle of the story. Because here's the thing. God chose a group of people, uh, a large family that literally became 12 tribes of Israel. Millions of people, but broken up into 12 different tribes. In these 12 tribes, God gave them a land that he had promised them through Moses and Joshua. But as they started settling the land, that's when things started really getting out of hand because they started to settle and get comfortable. And it's in that time they wanted to be like all the other nations around them, and they wanted a king just like all the other nations. So God gave them what they asked for. Sometimes some of the worst things that we could have is if God actually came through on our prayers and said yes. And that's exactly what they did. He gave them, God gave them kings, and most of the kings were really messed up and jacked up. In fact, there was a couple of good ones. There was David, you know, and Solomon was kind of good. But after Solomon, there was a civil war. And the ten tribes to the north split from the two tribes to the south. In fact, here's a picture of it right here. There's these two tribes. And all of this is God's people. But these ten tribes separated. And the two tribes from the, to the south, they stuck together. Now, here's the thing. There was about 40 kings up to the north, and all of them were evil. There wasn't one good king up in Israel. To the south, that's where Jerusalem is at. There was about 40 kings as well, and there was some good and some bad. The whole context of this story of Elijah and all through 1 Kings is going to be happening up here in northern Israel. It's going to be happening where all of the kings were what? Evil, exactly right. They were all bad. You got to remember that, all right? Now, today in particular, because we're going to come back to this map in a minute, this is actually going to take place right up here in this little uh, city up here called Sidon. But all of this stuff where Elijah is coming up against this really evil, bad king named Ahab. That's a fun name. Anybody ever named their child Ahab? I think not, all right? Anyway, so you have this bad king by the name of Ahab, and and God is coming against this king, and he uses Elijah. Now, what is Elijah? Elijah is just a prophet. What is a prophet? Well, a prophet is basically a megaphone for God. God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would be God's spokesman and would speak to the people about returning back to him. Now, let me tell you, here's what we know about Elijah. Let me tell you. 
That's what we know about Elijah. We know nothing about Elijah. We don't know where he came from. We don't know about his mom or dad. We don't know nothing about Elijah. And when Luther spoke last week in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, he basically, Elijah just shows up, boom, and he drops the bomb, right? He says to King Ahab, this evil king, there's not going to be any rain or any dew for three and a half years. And then he leaves. He gets out of town. You would as well, right? Here's what we do know about Elijah. He he has a cool name. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. Now, Yahweh was just one of the names of God. It would be like saying, the Lord is my God. That's really cool. I mean, if you're going to have a name, that's a good name to have, all right? Elijah's name really defines him because even though he is living like Yahweh, the Lord is my God, he is living amongst these two these two kingdoms, these 12 tribes of Israel who have not only separated themselves from each other, but have separated themselves from God. And they are drifting away, and Elijah is showing up and says, hey, you need to listen. You need to come back to God. Now, back in 1 Kings chapter 16, this Ahab was the most evil king Israel ever had, and she, uh, uh, Ahab married this really evil Satanist woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jezebel. Jezebel was not an Israelite. She was up uh, living in a, a faraway country called Phoenicia. She worshipped uh, another god by the name of Baal. We're going to be talking about Baal. But uh, here's the thing. Jezebel was hot. She was good looking. But she worshipped Satan. I mean, that's a problem right there, right? I'm just telling you. Just saying, all right? Um, but in, in, as Ahab is thinking, okay, what do I do? She looks good, but she's got really bad beliefs. Let me just tell you, if you're in here today and you're like, you know what? I really like this guy. He really looks good in jeans and his cowboy hat is great, but he doesn't know anything about God and he doesn't want to know anything about God, that is a red flag, okay? I'm just saying, just telling you, because it's never going to end well and it doesn't end well for Ahab and Jezebel, but they get married and Jezebel starts bringing this Baal worship into Israel. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this god Baal that, that she worshipped. This was the god of fertility. All right, I didn't say this first service because I don't think they could handle it, but this is get ready to get crazy in here at second service. He, the, 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 Baal was the god of fertility, and they believed that, that Baal, his, um, how do I say this in church? His semen was coming down from the side and be able to fertilize the earth, that this God was the God of rain and thunder and lightning. I apologize, all right? But that's just, there's no other, there's no other word I could use, okay? So when, when Elijah shows up and said there's not going to be any rain, and <laughs> there's not going to be rain for three and a half years, he's like going this to the, to the God Baal. Because they believed that Baal, this fertility god, it was, it was the water that was coming down that would water the earth. He's like, Elijah's like going, you think you're worshiping the thunder and the rain god? Let me tell you, because you're not worshiping the one true god, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. So you got to remember, in chapter 17, this goes on, chapter 17 actually lasts for three and a half years. So last week, we see that God tells Elijah, after he kind of drops the bomb on Ahab, he goes and he hides himself away at this Kareth brook. This is what it says in verses 5 and 6 and 7. So Elijah did as the Lord had told him and camped beside the Kareth brook, east of the Jordan. 
The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. This creek that had once been flowing with a quick current had now slowed to a, just a small trickle. Elijah probably had been about, around this brook for about a year now. Can you imagine? A year by yourself that God told him to hide away. But look at what it says in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, verse 8. Now, when did the Lord say to Elijah? When the creek bed dried up and not before. With like precise timing, the word of God came at the point of his greatest need. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. There's a lot there we're going to dissect a little bit. He gives him new orders. He gives him in a new direction and to meet a new set of needs. We're going to see this. Has God ever changed your plans? Do you ever give God the green light to change your plans? So many times I feel like that we think we know what's best. And, and when God starts you know, twiddling and changing our plans, that's when we get frustrated and angry because we want to live in the illusion of control. Do you know God's plans never change, but my plans change from day to day to day? And probably so does yours because there's stuff happening out here that we cannot control. That's interesting. The Lord is about to catapult Elijah from the quiet place he's been to for the past year into a public ministry. Up to this time, he was mostly engaged in meditation. The ravens would bring him food. God would, uh, um, would give him water by the brook. But now he's being called to minister and meet other people's needs we're getting ready to see. And hear me on this one. Please hear me on this one. You can't meet other people's needs until you have spent time alone with God and he meets your needs first. That's huge. So many times, if, if we don't spend time with God personally, one-on-one, -on -one, we're going to be of no use to anyone when people come and ask us for help because we've got nothing to give. We, our, our, our well is empty. We can't do that. And so many, we get so tempted, we get so busy, busy for God, busy for people, busy for stuff, busy for PTA, busy for whatever, that we can forget to hide ourselves and spend time with God. And when we do that, you and I are worth nothing, 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 because we cannot, we have to focus on being with God. We can't just do, do, do. We have to become and be and be. We have to do the work of God out of the fullness of being with God. And then you can meet the needs of others. Please don't forget that. Because if your only way that God is feeding you is here, then you are going to be dragging the bottom of the well when it comes Wednesday and Thursday. You got to spend time and hide yourself away at the brook and let God feed you by opening up his word day after day after day. Look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. He says, go and live, God tells Elijah, go and live at the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Just keep that up for a little bit. What, where is Zarephath? I mean, Zarephath. That's interesting. You see, Elijah is at, a, uh, is at this creek that's all dried up. Right, And it's dried up because he said there's not going to be any rain. And then God tells him, I want you to go to Zarephath. Let me tell you what the word Zarephath means in Hebrew. It means to melt or to smelt. It means a crucible. 
Has God ever taken you of a place where you're dry and you're all cracked and, and you're all ashy inside and you, you feel like you've got nothing coming your way and then he puts you in a crucible and it just gets hotter and more struggle? Why does God do that? Because he is wanting to make you, he is wanting to build your faith in those times so that you can be poured out for other people and actually help people. But I'm telling you, sometimes God puts us in crucibles. And that's exactly what Zerapath means, a crucible. Man, that's interesting. Now, here's the thing. Zerapath isn't even in Israel. I mean, Elijah is in Israel, the northern kingdom. It isn't even in Israel. It's 100 miles away. In fact, throw that uh, picture up there if you would again. 100 miles away. Elijah is here, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Sidon. I don't know if you can read that. Sidon is where? It's in Phoenicia. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Sidon. You just keep that up there. Sidon was the hometown of Jezebel. Isn't that interesting? In fact, this is the seat of Baal worship, that God that she had brought into Israel. I mean, why is God moving him into the middle of this cultic problem? And here's the reason why. Because God wants to bring you and I into soil that is most conducive to spiritual growth. And many times, it's soil that's far away from religion. You see, here's what I know about media of you today. If, if you're here and maybe this, this is your first time or maybe you, you've been the ones that raised your hand and yeah, I've been here one year, two years, probably kind of what your background was is that you had been burned by the church, maybe you were frustrated with the church, you had walked away, maybe you had never been to church before. But one of the things, this 100-mile trip was a huge inconvenience to Elijah, but God calls us inconveniently to live and to work into some very irreligious places. And that's the reason why we started OneChurch.tv six years ago. We started this church for people who don't go to church. And let me tell you how much sense that makes. Zero. Seriously. If somebody who doesn't go to church, but then they start coming to church, then that means they're churchgoers, right? But our whole vision, our idea is let's start a church for people who don't go to church. Because here's what I know about you and about me and about this city. 88% of people here in Clarksville, Fort Campbell, choose not to go to church every Sunday morning. And the reason why is they think, you know what, no thank you, I've been to church. And the, I've got nothing to say, it's not relevant, it's not whatever. They don't think it's helpful, whatever. And our job, our job is to be able to come and, to, and, and to really kind of prove them wrong. To, for them to actually enjoy themselves, for them to be able to say, okay, I understood that. And if I understood this, then maybe I'll start reading the Bible. It's crazy, right? Oh, my gosh. Maybe, you know, okay, that was kind of simple, so maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack it open tomorrow. You tell me that, I'm getting ready to go crazy. I'm serious. I go, oh, I like it a lot. That's it. That's a win for me. I mean, and that's, and that's what we want. We want people in here who've never been to church or maybe who have been to church and kind of bounced out for them to say, you know what, I enjoyed that. I liked it. In fact, I liked it so much, I think I'm going to bring back a friend, right? Oh, my gosh. Don't even tell me that. It's going to get crazy in here, right? But here's the thing. I believe that we are most like God when we choose to impact and to influence people who are far from God. God tells Elijah inconveniently to go 100 miles. How many of y'all have walked 100 miles in the past year? That's what I'm telling you, right? I mean, it's like, no, I've driven, 
But no, he didn't have a chariot. He walked. Inconvenient. And this wasn't a good time for Elijah to be walking. Why? Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 10. This guy's telling, talking to Elijah, and it's inconvenient time for Elijah because this guy's telling Elijah, For I swear by the Lord your God that the king, remember his name, King Ahab, has searched every nation and every kingdom on earth from end to end to find who? You, Jack. And each time he was told, Elijah isn't here, and King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. This guy had the FBI looking after him. They, were, they had a price on his head. They were wanting to kill Elijah. Why? Because the king thought that, uh, hey, Elijah's the one who made the proclamation. No rain. No rain. And he's thinking, it's Elijah's problem. We're going to see next week, it wasn't Elijah's problem. Who the problem was was Ahab. And Jezebel and everybody kind of following that God of Baal. God inconveniences Elijah and and literally kind of sticks his neck out there. Why? Because he wants people far from God. He knows this, that there is a broken family in Phoenicia of Zarephath who needs to be, have a word from God, who needs to be helped by God. And God will always inconvenience the found, so that he could be able to go and see and seek and save those who are lost. He will always. And some of you, you're like, well, you know, going to church, especially one church, it's difficult. It's hard. It's an inconvenience. It is. All right. We meet in a sometime, in a school that sometimes doesn't smell the best. Right. I was like, is that Jim? Is is that, is, is that? Yes, it is. I mean, that gum, right? But here's, I mean, we get people here at 5.30 on Sunday mornings to set up and tear down. Why? That's an inconvenience. But here's what we, you and I know, that we know that there's going to be people who are going to show up who are far from God, and we want to see them connect with a God who loves them. Man, I love that. And that's exactly what he does here for Elijah. He inconveniences Elijah, and he says, I want you to go. And look at this at the end of verse 9. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, he tells Elijah, God tells Elijah, I have a widow I've instructed a widow there to feed you. I mean, how humbling is that, right? I mean, it'd be different. He says, I want you to go and provide for this widow woman. Let me tell you about widows in this culture. Um, In this culture, especially outside of Israel, women weren't valued. They weren't valued. In fact, the only way you had any value is if you were connected to a man, either your father or your husband. This woman... I mean, we don't know anything about her father, and her husband has passed away. So, I mean, th- th- I'm sure this woman is destitute. We're going to find out she's very, very poor. And God is telling Elijah, I want you, your dependence, to be upon her. Wouldn't it have been a lot better if he said, you know, I want you, this widow woman, to depend upon you, right? Because you a man, go do something, right? He doesn't do that. Daggum, how humbling this is. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? He calls out to her, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, I've been traveling for a while. You know, we got this drought going on. By the way, you know, a lot of people think I'm the cause of that. But anyway, I, I got cotton mouth. I'm really thirsty. I've been traveling for 100 miles in a desert with no water. Can I get some, can I get some water here? Now, okay, great. But look at this. I mean, that, she doesn't know him. I mean, in the South, somebody asks you for something, even if you don't know him, what do you do? 
you give it to them, right? That, that don't work that way in New York City, right? You ask directions to somebody you don't know in New York City, right? I'm just, d- 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 pretend this is up north, all right? She don't know him, he don't know her, but Elijah knows this is the woman. This is the woman. And look at this. It's like, if that's not enough, as she was going to get it, he called out to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Elijah makes another big ask here. He says, uh, can you bring me a sandwich and can you supersize that? Um, fries on the side, please. That'd be great. Thank you. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a loose translation of the Hebrew. I'm just, I'm just, can, can I get a sandwich too? And with that request, you can almost hear a heartbreak. Because that, she has a problem. Look what it says in verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God. Now look at there. Not the Lord my God. She's not a believer. She's in this pagan nation who worships Baal. But the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. Not one piece of bread. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and just a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. Then my son and I will what? Do you hear the desperation in her voice? As far as this woman is concerned, this is her last meal. Her son is so weak, her son can't even go and help gather sticks. She's having to do it by herself. Isn't it strange that Elijah would ask to take from her mouth her last bite? Anybody ever, you ever went to a restaurant and they were eating, eating, and maybe you're, you know, a person next to you is eating steak. And they got one last bite. Do you mind if I have that last bite? No. Get your own, right? Now, you ain't going to take my last bite, right? I mean, what is Elijah thinking here? But look what happens. Look what it says in verse 13. I believe the reason why Elijah makes this ask of her is because she, Elijah is wanting to build her faith in his God, so that his God can become her God. Verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but first make a little bit of bread for me when? Everybody say that word. First. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Okay, this is where if I was the widow, I'm like, excuse me. Uh, How can I do this if I give for you first, then I'm not going to have any for us. But it's, the secret in the sauce is in that word first. You see, Elijah is asking the widow woman to prioritize God first over her stuff. God is always wants to be the priority of my life in your life. That is why God calls us to give financially out of first before we pay anything else, that we are to give to him first. Don't give God the leftovers, but give God first. Why? Because when you prioritize God in the small things, he will give you larger things. That's our big idea today. Our big idea says this. Sweat the small stuff. Small faithfulness leads to a big opportunities. Sweat the small stuff. Let me tell you what our culture says. Our culture says sweat the big stuff. It's those big decisions, like who you gonna marry, where you gonna, you know, where you gonna live, you know, all of this, where you gonna go to school, what are you gonna major in? Those are the big decisions. And you know what? Those are great. But let me tell you what I know about you and me. 
character and your destiny will be forged not on the big decisions, but on the small decisions. Why? Because it's the small decisions that will lead to the big decisions. Small decisions. Sweat the small stuff. Small faithfulness will lead to big opportunities. When we are faithful in the small things in life, they set the stage for bigger things in life. Jesus said it like this in Luke 16.10. Read this with me if you would. If you are faithful in what? Little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You see what he's saying? This entire chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Kings, is all about small things going to big things. Small things going to big things. We see Elijah, he shows up, he drops a big thing, and God says, I want you to go just, just go and just live by a brook for a year and just spend time with me. That's small. And if you do that, then I'm going to give you bigger things. And he goes, and he's going to ask this big question okay, to this widow. Hey, before you do this, prioritize me first. I mean, that small thing we're going to see, it seems like a big thing, but it's actually a small thing. Because God is going to provide miraculously for this widow and her son. Look at what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. But seek first. Seek what? First, see, the secret sauce is in that word first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. When we prioritize God, God will grow our faith. That is exactly what happens with Elijah and the widow. Elijah pumps up her faith in verse 14. Now, here's the cool thing about this. What happens is we're going to see this woman do exactly what Elijah asked. And she's thinking, I am giving away my last meal. But here's the kicker on this. When you prioritize God, it won't be your last meal. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour. Somebody say always. Always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops start growing in. If you give to God, God will give to you. Now, she has a choice. Is she going to trust God first, or is she going to prioritize her and her son and let this be her last meal? Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said. Isn't that crazy? Wow. And, and she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued. Everybody say continued. I like that. They continued to eat for many days. How many days? Many days. In fact, we're going to see in this chapter, this is three and a half year span. So he's probably hanging out with this widow and her son for probably two and a half years, three years maybe. All right. What was the result? There was always, let's, let's say that word again, always, there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. How many of y'all would like to have a container or a bank account like that? I would. Right? It's like you get all the money out of the ATM and you go back the next day and there's just enough. Let me tell you that's interesting. Just think how this shows that God is in control of this situation. This woman, before meeting Elijah that morning, she wakes up thinking that this day would be her last day. She is preparing the Last Supper. She never thought that she would meet a stranger that would revolutionize her life who would change her sorrow into gladness. I mean, that would change her starvation into satisfaction. I mean, isn't that just lucky? Let me tell you, for a Christian, 
we shouldn't believe in luck. There is no such thing as luck or karma. There is this, that God is in control. He is in control. And what we see, imagine if Elijah just said, you know, when, when he's hanging out by that, that brook that was drying up, imagine if Elijah told God, you know what, I don't want to leave just yet. Let me just hang out for a couple more days. What would have happened to this widow? She would have died. And so would her son. But because he was obedient over here, she reaped blessings over here. Let me just start. Because you're obedient over here, there's going to be some people over here that are going to reap blessings because you were obedient. Because everything affects everything. Your obedience will bless someone else. Isn't that amazing how that works? I love that. I mean, it, it, this kind of reminds me of a guy by the name of George Mueller. Here's his picture up here. Um, good looking dude, ain't he? This dude lived back in the 1800s. True story, he was a missionary in England, and he ran an orphanage of about 300 children in his orphanage down at Ashley Downs in England. Well, one day, all the kids went to the mess hall, all of these tables lined up, and the cook said, uh, Mr. Mueller, um, we don't have any food today. Mueller went back to his office, and there wasn't any money in his bank account. And he, is, he has a choice. How am I going to feed these 300 children, these orphans? And there was a small girl whose father was really close to Mueller, who was visiting the home. And Mueller took this little girl and said, said this, come and see what our heavenly father is getting ready to do. So Mueller got down on his knees and with this little girl prayed this prayer. Dear father, we thank you for what you're going to give us to eat today. Your word says you will give us this day our daily bread. We need some bread daily today. At that moment, a knock was at the front door. So Mueller got up off his knees and went to the door. And there was a baker. And the baker said this, Mr. Mueller, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need some bread this morning. So I got up at 2 o'clock and I baked three extra batches for you. I will bring it in. Mueller thanked him, praised God, and decided to keep on praying. He started praying. Another knock at the door. And a milkman was there. And he says, Mr. Mueller, I don't, you don't know me, and I really don't know you, but your name's out on the front of the orphanage. Um, my milk truck, my cart broke down, and in order to repair the, the wheel, I'm going to have to take all the milk off. Uh, can you use any of this milk? Because it's just going to spoil. I'm just going to give it away. You're welcome to have it. Can you use it today? Mueller said, you know what? I think we can. And God provided miraculously to, for a guy who had great faith. And you know what's so amazing? You ought to read a biography about it. This stuff happened all the time to him. Why? Because he was a superstar? No. Because he prayed. Because he, like Elijah, and like you, and like me, can see God do some amazing big things in our lives if we're connected to him through prayer. I like that. Look at this, verse 17. Some time later, it says, some time later, Elijah probably stayed with this widow probably, like I said, two and a half, three years. And during that time, they just had enough olive oil for the day. She is scraping the bottom of the barrel Getting the olive oil. She's scraping the, she has just enough flour to make a couple of biscuits for that day for Elijah, her, and her son. And this happens for two and a half years. 
I'm, I just think about it. Think, now, I want you to know, there was no storehouse. This wasn't like, uh, you know, the, the jack and the beanstalk, where you could just keep on getting, getting. It wasn't like that. They had just enough for the day, and she wasn't building like huge, um, you know, storage wars like on Tiny Town Road. They, they didn't have those. They didn't, it was just, just enough. I believe God really works like that so many times in our lives. He don't give us really more than what we need, but he'll give us just enough. Why? So that we can stay dependent upon him. I will tell you this. In the past six years, one church has been around, we've never like been sitting on like a stockpile of money. We just haven't. God's always given us just enough. Every year when uh, the elders, when they've set their budget, for the budget here, you know, we're going to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to see God do this. Every year, God's just made that. Maybe a, a, you know, a few couple of thousand dollars, but just, he just made it. i got to be honest with you, this year is a tough year for us. I don't know if we're going to, this may be the first year we may not make budget. I don't know. We're about $60,000 behind where we were supposed to be. And I think a lot of it is just because of um, everything that's happening with the recession and everybody's you know, paychecks. I understand that. I do. But let me tell you what I know about our God. We've always had enough money to pay salaries here at One Church. We've always had enough money to continue to do ministry with our children and our student ministry. We always, we still give away thousands of dollars towards missions every month. You know, we, we pay, we're able to pay our lease on our offices. And you know what? One of the things, what's so cool about it, every Monday, we have Young Life kids from Northeast High School meet there for free. We don't charge Young Life anything. We have a Sexaholics Anonymous group meeting there. We don't charge anything. We have, um, we have a, a Minivan Mayhem, a women's group that meets there. We, we don't charge anything. All right? we, we have a, a foster and adoption group that meets there. We don't charge anything. Because here's the thing. We, this isn't ours to charge. It's God's. And I know whenever, you know, however God's going to work this out, and I know he will because God takes care of his children. But at the end of the day, whether we have a school, whether we have a big, a bunch of land with a big bill, and it's not going to be ours, and we're not going to fight about stupid stuff, about carpet and stuff. It's all about God. It's all about connecting God and people, and, 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 that's, and that's what Elijah, I don't think, ever forgot that. But it says right here, it says, I'm going to keep on reading, verse 17, sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Imagine, imagine you're this widow, and this prophet of God has been living in your home for two and a half years, and God has been miraculously feeding you through that entire time, and then something like this happens. You're not a believer. You don't have this relationship with God. How are you going to respond to God? It's almost like in the midst of this miracle, God brings tragedy. Why, why would God do that? Look at it. Verse 18. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and then kill my son? I mean, she's feeling resentment. She's probably feeling some guilt because in this verse, she says, you know, I, she knows she's been sinning, maybe doing something, and she feels like God's getting her back. Let me tell you, God is not here to pay you back. That's, all, that's what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. He's not trying to get even with you. But look what happens. Elijah doesn't correct her. He doesn't rebuke or chastise her. He just listens, and then he goes 
to God. Look at this. But Elijah responded, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms and carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on the bed. Now look at this. What happens now? Elijah starts praying. This is it. This is why. This is the time. When you and I start praying to a big God, some amazing things start to happen. Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought this tragedy on this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And look at this. His prayer starts moving to contact. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, Please let this child's life return to him. Here's Elijah, who literally is willing to stretch himself over the son as if to impart his own life into him, but it doesn't work. He recognizes that he couldn't do it alone. And that's the reason he just says, he prays to God, God, you gotta do this. I mean, you, you gotta do this. So God, you do it. And throughout this entire chapter, you hear Elijah hearing and following the voice of God, but now because he has heard and followed the voice of God, Elijah, now God is listening to Elijah's voice and acting on Elijah's behalf. Do you know that when God tells you to do something and you choose to do it, then when you start praying, God will listen to you and he will start doing some things for you? How many of y'all got kids in here? How many of y'all need counseling? All right, this ain't on my notes, so I'm out there. This is free, you ain't gotta pay for this. I got three boys. I love my boys, all right? And, we, and last week, we went to Virginia Beach. My wife did a half marathon, and we, we hung out at the beach. And my Bing, who's six years old, and Jed, who's nine, and Walt, who's 15, we were all hanging, and we were in the waves. It was so much fun, right? But here's the as much as I love hanging out with my kids and stuff, if I tell them to do something and then they don't do it, am I, if, if I'm, am I a good parent if I reward that behavior? No. I'm not supposed to reward bad behavior. But hear me. If they start listening to me, they start doing what I ask, I'm telling you, there's, not, there's very few things that I won't do for my kids. And I'm sure you're the exact same way. Let me tell you, your heavenly father's that way. God tells you, hey, I want you to stop. I want you to get up and I want you to move to the brook called Kareth. And you do that, whatever that is. Maybe that brook is Fort Bragg. Maybe that brook is, is Stewart County. Maybe that brook is Hopkinsville. I don't know what it is, all right? But you do it. You do it. And then God tells you, I want you to go and I want you to honor me first. And you do that. And you, and you start listening to God and you start acting on what God is telling you to do, that he will start acting when you start telling him stuff. That's just how it happens. That's how it happens in my home and how it happens in your home and how it happens in God's home. We're gonna look. This is how it ends. I love this. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he was revived. This is the first time in the history of God's word, the history of the earth, that somebody has risen from the dead. It won't be the last, but it's the first and how did that happen? How did that happen was this. Elijah was faithful in small things. He was faithful in moving. He was faithful in going to the widow. He was faithful in hanging out the widow. He was faithful in small things, and God gave him larger opportunities. And what's going to be so cool with this is he is right on the edge. He's been ministering to just two people, Elijah has. 
And next chapter, next week, he's gonna be ministering to thousands. Here's what I think about a lot of people. A lot of people want the big stage, but they're not willing to do the small things on the small stage to be able to get that. See, all of us, we want the big influence. We want the big ministry. We want the big church, big whatever it is, the big job, the big promotion. But if you want the big promotion, then you have to sweat the small stuff. You've got to be, you got to prove yourself faithful in small things. And if you do that, God will give you larger opportunities. Last two verses and I'm done. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. And the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord speaks through you. You know, it wasn't enough that God had miraculously provided for her for two and a half years. How she came into a relationship with God was the gift of life. For some of you as we close today, one of, the best, one of the biggest things you need in your life isn't one of those magic containers that never goes dry. We would all love to have that, but probably not gonna happen. What really all of us need in our life is we need life in us. The Bible says clearly in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, that apart from God, that we are dead in our sins, that we are, we're like a cadaver that has no life. But God was so rich in his mercy that he sent his one and only son that if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but we could have what? Everlasting life. And if you're here this morning, and I tell you, you're struggling and there's stuff that's happening in your family, there's stuff happening in your finances, there's stuff happening in your job, your biggest need is God in your life. And maybe today, you need to experience the miracle of new life. How that's gonna happen is this, is I'm gonna invite all of us to pray. And I don't want anybody looking around or anything like that because I promise you I'm not gonna embarrass you. But I do wanna give you the opportunity if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ for you to do that now. Let's pray. Dear God, just as we've read in these verses some amazing, miraculous things, Lord, it was the gift of new life, of the son coming back to life that the widow finally believed. Lord, I believe that there's men and women, students, children here today who need to experience the new life that your son can give them. Lord, we know that apart from you, we really can't do anything. God, that we're, we're broken, we're destitute. But Lord, that's the reason why you sent your son into this world. Lord, that if we would believe in him, that we could have eternal life. Thank you so much for your love, for giving your son to us. And Lord, I pray for those people today who want to start that relationship with God that they would pray a prayer just like this to themselves. Dear God, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't do this on my own. Self, me trying harder is not gonna fix it. Me going to even church is not gonna fix this. The only fix is you. 
So God, I pray that you would come into my heart, my life, make me alive. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and make me whole. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. I put my faith and my trust in you. Make me new today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.